With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. The HN Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace, going to recap Iowa's 13-3 victory over Iowa State from this past Saturday. No, not an offensive explosion, but Steve, I really mean this. I was texting with some Iowa State friends of mine that, um, yeah, you're not the only one I have, um, that... I don't know, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and they were asking me what I thought of the game. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm enjoying the heck out of this game. I mm-hmm. mean, th- be, because both defenses, I thought, played exceptionally well. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say Iowa has an offensive juggernaut on their hand this season. They don't. They rarely ever do. And Iowa State absolutely would have benefited from playing a game in week one for their offense, their timing. But when I look and when I just looked at how the defenses played so fundamentally sound, both teams had a game plan. And you could see the game plan both teams had as the game unfolded, and they executed at an incredibly high level. I really enjoyed the heck out of that. What were your thoughts overall on what you saw from, from both squads? Well, let me start from the Iowa State perspective and get it out of the way so we can focus the rest of our time on the Hawkeyes. Um, I thought the game did nothing for Iowa State as a team, as a program, nothing. Uh, You walked out of there and um, got your ass whipped, lost your starting quarterback, and lo and behold, a pissed-off Oklahoma team is coming to town who loses. Oklahoma has more Big Big 12 championships than home losses since 2000. Did you know that? That's a crazy stat. I I did hear that, yes. Yeah, That's a crazy stat. Well, one of their home losses – Iowa State last year, right? So from an Iowa State perspective, the game I thought was was basically a total fail. Um, and the, the, the season could not have started much worse. And you really could have used that game last week. Uh, and I think that this game went about what I thought it would, just even fewer points than I thought would be scored. You know, the under has been the best trend in this rivalry, except for like the steel Jance game. The under has been an incredible trend in this rivalry for a couple of decades now. So from an Iowa state perspective, you, you essentially have to start your, your entire season over a third time. Now you started it week one, you started it over week two, cause you had to cancel week one and you got to flush this effort and you go in there with a new quarterback next to this week against Oklahoma. And you're starting over again. Now the good news for the Cyclones is 
they've done this before. You know, they started the whole season over in mid-October last year after that Thursday night loss to Texas when they looked totally lost and Jacob Park had his issues and everything and then, and then quit the team. So starting over, Matt Campbell has some experience with that. Um, but start over, they will have to do. From an Iowa perspective, I thought it was it was essentially a, 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 re, a replica of the previous game. Uh, and that's both good and bad. Uh, the good is that you know, more of a constant in today's college football, uh, unless you have great weapons on the outside, and Iowa doesn't, and, and few teams in the Big Ten probably do, actually. But unless you have great weapons on the outside, the caliber of schedule Iowa plays on a perennial basis, the types of style of football that will play, the, the constant that is good will decide more football games than the constant that is bad. And the constant that is good is, is this defensive front that I was really high on coming into the year is living up to the hype. And uh, aside from when they kind of got um, taken aback by a, a really good dink and dunk offense by Iowa State, getting its guys underneath in the flat, isolated in space, aside from that one drive, there, there was just, I mean, there was nothing. Nothing else. They were the Iowa State offense was a non-factor. The Northern Illinois offense was a non-factor. Now we may go through the season and find out these teams weren't that good, but going into the year, they were both pretty highly thought of by their typical standards. Northern Illinois was the consensus favorite in the MAC, and Iowa State's over/under win total in Vegas was six and a half which isn't great, but for Iowa State, that's the highest win total they've had that I can remember in about 10 years. So both of these teams were pretty highly regarded by their uh, typical standards, and their offenses could not move the ball across the street uh, against Iowa's defensive front. And when you look and you start looking at approach, you know, projecting the rest of Iowa's year, because as you've pointed out, this is such a traditional uh, barometer game for the Hawkeyes, that constant is going to is going to play pretty is going to play pretty well. Right now you can look at the rest of Iowa's schedule and save for two games where Wisconsin has an offensive line that can neutralize that. Um uh, and and may have an offensive line that if we did the all Big Ten offensive line, they might just be every starter for Wisconsin. Uh, and then you look at Penn State with the playmakers uh, that they have at quarterback and guys like K.J. Hamler, who I think is becoming the untold uh, playmaking star the first couple weeks of the season right now in the Big Ten Conference. Side from those games, though, and you get one of them at home at night, and we've known what Iowa's history is in those environments. Aside from those games, though, I, I struggle to see who is left on Iowa's schedule that can even that can even create a stalemate up front. And so, you know, when you when you know you can dominate teams up front on the defensive line, you've heard me say our almost our entire friendship, you know, some of my axioms, you know, you can't hide your quarterback, although Iowa may start having to try. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, when you start looking at you got a pack of defense on the road and what have, what's the third one? The, the position group that separates the men from the boys in today's college football is the defensive front. And the amount of push Iowa can get, the amount of push they can get in the interior, because we've seen them have guys like, uh, you know, uh, Adrian Claiborne and Matt Roth coming off the edge. But the the push they can get inside, uh, the disruption that they can get with a guy like Epinesa inside, that is not something that is typical uh, of, of, of teams that are developmental type of programs like Iowa. And they have it this year, and they have depth to go along with it. Different size types, body types as well. Uh, and I just think they're a really difficult matchup up there, uh, up front there. And you saw that play out against Iowa State 
athlete who's who's whose offense is predicated on get rid of the ball quick, get the ball to athletes in space, spread them out. Their their offensive game plan coming from the Big 12 is designed to limit the exposure they have to a, a disadvantage up front, and it still didn't make a difference. Now, the other side of the football that is becoming a constant is the offensive side of the football. And I know you, I know it's like that snowstorm at the Girl State Tournament. The meteorologists say is a myth and seems to happen here every year. So I know you don't believe in my Kirk Ferentz quarterback regression theory. I don't, but, but go ahead and embarrass yourself. But 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 the first two games, man, yikes, yikes, yikes. Now again. When I look at the rest of the schedule, I don't see too many teams that that's going to make a difference against when you can play the way Iowa can play up front defensively. Um, but you've got to figure out something between now and the next two weeks against Wisconsin in that passing game. you got to develop something there. Because in the first two weeks, you have not. Really, as it relates to the to regression or a hypothetical regression, um, Outside of two games last year, Nate Stanley's playing a lot like Nate Stanley played last year. So I don't know that we've seen a lot of progression. Granted, he had 26 touchdown passes and just six interceptions. As we've said, 10 of those touchdown passes came in two games against Ohio State and against Iowa State, five in each game. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, one of the interesting things I just kept asking on Twitter and asking myself, you know, to myself during the game, as Iowa State had so much success on that opening drive, throwing it to the running backs, doing the mesh routes underneath, things that we expected them to do. They went away from that. And I watched the game again, and, and I think I think Iowa had a hand in that. As we know, and this isn't just for Iowa, it's for most teams when you talk about, you know, if your defensive line is the single most important factor for the greatness of potentially very good teams. When Iowa's defensive line can mitigate the running game with its front four, that's going to allow these untested, very green Agreed. Uh, linebackers yep. to play much better. And what Iowa, yep. what Iowa did in this game after that opening after that opening series series they split they spread their linebackers out wider they got them out of the box and let them run in space and Jimon Colbert redshirt freshman number 32 making his first career start really first meaningful playing time because uh, you know the the linebacker from the previous week who had broken out in this game, Christian Welch, was injured. He, I mean, he reminded me of that uh, that Buell cat from Kansas State from many, many, many years ago. That undersized, two hundred and ten pound All American linebacker they had. I mean, Colbert's two thirty two, so he's a little undersized for his position, but he was running. And I, Parker Hesse, when I went through my um, my video replay last night, Hesse didn't show up much in the stat sheet. But boy, did he show up in containment responsibility on first and second down. And David Montgomery had nowhere to go. Iowa State went totally away from those throws out of the backfield because I think of Iowa's defensive adjustment. But I was still surprised they didn't try it. It was just a great chess match, Steve, because Iowa State, all we you could tell they're coaching uh, totally. Whenever the, their linebackers, this was a Wisconsin, straight out of the Wisconsin playbook against Iowa. Mm -hmm. Whenever mm -hmm. their linebackers saw Iowa's zone scheme flow going one direction or another, the linebackers would slant and crash to the zone flow, and that backside linebacker was pursuing, and they were very successful at it. Iowa did mix up with a few ISO trade, ISO counters later in the game, and, and every time they did it, it went for eight or more 
yards. But it was just, I thought it was a great chess match, but I still was surprised that Iowa State didn't go back to the dink and duck a little bit more just to put pressure on those Iowa linebackers. Well, you know, the irony of what you told me Iowa's adjustment was is that's what Iowa State wants to get a defense to do. That's what that's exactly what they want to split you out wider, spread you out more, create gaps. You know, David Montgomery is not, you know, this isn't student body right, student body left. I mean, this is a guy who does a lot of work between the tackles, slipping, breaking tackles, making guys miss in the hole. Uh, He's more of an inside out kind of a runner. And so in many respects, Iowa made the adjustment that Iowa State would want most Big 12 defenses to try and make. The problem is Iowa's defensive front is not like most Big 12 defensive fronts. In fact, based on what we've typically seen in the Big 12, it's really not like any. Big 12 defensive front, save, you know, depending on how good TCU's defense is in any given year. Um, and I think that's really the issue is that Iowa's defensive line was buying. There are, there are two places where if you are demonstrably better then then the other team has got to be at least a touchdown better than you on a neutral site to win the game. And this game of course was at home. Those two spots are quarterback and the defensive front. And that's true at every level of football. I mean, we've seen it with the New England Patriots. We've seen undefeated Patriot teams or Patriot teams that that dominated in the regular season twice go play the New York Giants with, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, and they couldn't block their front four. And if you can't block their front four, Tom Brady is not nearly as great as he is when they can. And and this has been really the the mo that you've seen across the board of, at, at every level of football. And so if, if if the other team's quarterback is 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 all time Baker Mayfield kind of Lamar Jackson elite, then you really have to be a touchdown or more better than them everywhere else in the football field to beat them. Uh, you saw this in Monday Night Football last night with the Packers. The Bears were the, the better team at every position on the field last night, except Aaron Rodgers, and that's the difference. Uh, and then the other position group, the other position is the position group of the defensive front. It, that's 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 similar to great pitching in the, the the great pitching version of college football or any level of football is if you have a front four that can dominate the other team's offensive front, what they're able to scheme and do and, and what you do to psych them out um, uh, really changes the tenor of an entire game. And I think that was the story of the game on Saturday and it was game set and match. Now, uh, the good news for Iowa State is they're not going to face a defensive front like that the rest of the year. And the good news for Iowa is they're not with with a couple of exceptions. And I think at Wisconsin it's because of how good the offensive line is. Uh, and I think at Iowa at Penn State it's because how good the quarterback is. Mar- barring those two exceptions, when you look at the schedule right now, you don't see another team on that schedule that if they bring the lunch pail that they can block Iowa's defensive front. This number might surprise you. In the first half, David Montgomery had 15 touches combined. In the second half, he had five. The game was three to three at halftime. And let me tell you what happens there. Because, you know, we have seen Matt Campbell's not a dogmatic coach. We have seen him reinvent his program. We talked about, you know, just a few minutes ago. We saw him reinvent their entire defense in the middle of the year last year. They played the 3-4 against Iowa, but that was not the same umbrella passive zone defense as you just described. They did not play this. They changed the entire defensive scheme compared to what was successful for them in the last nine games of or last eight games of last year. So for Matt Campbell is not a guy. This isn't less miles. I have to win the game a certain way. Um, 
what that tells you, therefore, and because he's his own offensive coordinator right now, is he just got psyched out. And and when you know you can't block, that gets in your head as a play caller. That's the bottom line. Right then and there, you start thinking, what do I got to do? And then what happens is you're like, all right, we got to get, we got to bring something else in here to give to take the pressure off Montgomery because they're keying on him. And then lo and behold. A whole quarter goes by, and he's gotten one or two touches because you've psyched yourself out because you're trying to figure out what's your counter that you get that you get to force Iowa to respond to, so you can come back to David Montgomery, and you just get disrupted and totally out of your game plan. And that's why they call those kinds of defensive fronts disruptive. They don't just disrupt what happens, you know, out there at the point of attack. They disrupt what the guy in the headsets who are calling the plays are starting to think too. I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. That is. Um... The, the defensive line is just it's just really really good and I might even watch I won't watch any of the offensive plays a third time I, I've done I did my work watching that a second time was hard but man I'll watch that defense a third time and watch how they play and watch what they do because that was um, that was a great deal of fun here here are a few other numbers for you remember we, we've brought up Scott Docterman's uh, trend that he spotted in the offseason that and mm-hmm. in, in, in whenever Iowa has sacked the quarterback 30 or more times in a season Season, they've won 10 games they've got nine right now are on pace for 50 some obviously that pace is likely to slow down but um it seems pretty likely they're going to get to 30 um and it, <laughs> any given game it could be a number of different people um i think we should explain why some theories as to why that trend is true here's my theory about that trend why it's worked out the way that it has because even though Phil Parker's gotten a little more exotic with the Raider packages and some of the other things since he took over for Norm, this is still predominantly a base defense program. Yeah, they were mostly base all day with the exception of Raider. And so if you can, if if you're getting, the, most of those are going to be an Iowa system. You know, in a Don Brown system, they're going to get 35, 40 sacks a year. 20 of them might come from four different linebackers because of the amount of blitz packages. So in Iowa system, if you're getting that many sacks, the vast majority of them are going to come from the defensive front. And if you are able to generate that level of pressure in the defensive front and you're forcing college quarterbacks to hit those pro windows which are, you know, which a very limited amount of quarterbacks can hit. And and you're doing it in a conference where they haven't had a first round quarterback selected since 1990, freaking five, four years before Kirk Ferentz became the head coach at Iowa. You know, I mean, so when you're in a league that hasn't produced a first round quarterback and going on a quarter century. And then if you can get pressure with your front four and then you're still able to sit back in those in those zone coverages and force quarterbacks to hit windows that, you know, you can tell a lot of quarterbacks typically on Iowa's schedule can't hit those windows because the vast majority of opponents Iowa has played in that time span were from the programs in the Big Ten not producing first round quarterbacks. And so I think that's why that trend has been so strong for Iowa. And and because of that trend, and when you mentioned it last week, that's why I went right to projecting the rest of the schedule because when i look at the rest of their schedule tell me tell me you you got you know tell me who the quarterback is maybe i might throw in a maryland you know if they continue to develop kasim hill was a big time you know recruit for them uh, and he's more of a thrower anyway so right now i'm at two and a half teams i think the maryland game's also on the road too if i remember right yeah it's at kinnick yeah oh it's at kinnick too okay so maybe right now maybe 
we're at two and a half teams. I don't think Alex Hornibrook can consistently hit those throws, but he's got an offensive line that, you know, the amount of NFL scouts that are going to show up to watch Nebraska or Wisconsin's offensive line against Iowa's defensive line, some money is getting made in that matchup for four quarters watching those guys butt heads. There's a lot of guys that are going to be playing on Sundays in those two units. Uh, and so there's a neutralization factor there. Uh, maybe they cancel each other out. We mentioned Penn State with Trace McSorley, who has already made some crazy window throws, and we saw him do that against Iowa to beat him at Kinnick last year. And then maybe with Maryland, with the way they're you know kind of developing on offense, we'll see. And Matt Canada is one of the more creative offensive coordinators in college football. But again, that game is at Kinnick. So that's two and a half teams. We're sitting here through week two with Iowa's defensive front. And we think we're at two and a half teams that could take advantage of Iowa in some other areas that might somewhat neutralize the impact of that group. Well, you know, if they lose two of those games and win one, that's a 10 and two season. Right there. There it is again. Yeah, the the math does start coming up. More math for the Iowa-Iowa State game. Um, a friend of mine, I think actually Brent Bloom must have brought this up on the Iowa State broadcast, and then a, a friend of mine told me about it. So I went and did the research myself. Um, I mean, it wasn't really research. It was going to ESPN's Iowa-Iowa State box scores the last four years. The last time Iowa turned the ball over in the Cyhawk game was in 2015. They've had mm. zero turnovers in 16, 17, and 18. They had one in 2015, and Iowa State also had one there. So not surprising in that regard. Iowa now has won four consecutive games in this series for the first time in the Ferentz era. They've won eight of the, the, eight of the last 11. Um, you know, I heard so many things from Iowa State pundits after the game of how bad their offensive line is. You talked about it there. Obviously, Iowa played against Northern Illinois in the first game, who actually held their own against Utah last week. It was 10-6 late in that game, and Utah won 17-6, and it was on a pick six. I believe they got that last touchdown. Um, Northern Iowa comes to town this coming weekend. And, and frankly, Steve, given how anemic the passing game has looked for Iowa, I'm going to be really, really ticked off if Iowa comes out and does what Wisconsin did last week against New Mexico, and that's run their leading rusher third. 33 times. We'll talk about that in the Bigger 10 podcast this week. Really hope first half Iowa works on that passing game. You know, I think this needs to be treated like a preseason game. Uh, that's no disrespect to Northern Iowa, but if 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 I'm Iowa, I have I have I, I my defensive front could play better against Wisconsin in 2 weeks. And if you win that game, you know, that's like a double bonus because you just beat your biggest division competitor. Uh, so it, it, it's an even bigger win. And Iowa's defensive front could play even better in that game than what they played these first two games. And because of the caliber of the offensive line Wisconsin's bringing to the table, um, it, it wouldn't have necessarily the, the overall impact on the game that, it would, that, that you would see if that was against – you know, almost every other opponent that Iowa has lined up for 2018. And so that means you, you've got to figure out how are we going to get 21 or 24 points? How are we going to get there? And I, I don't think it's probably lining up running downhill against Wisconsin, at least not initially. Uh, and I think you're going to have to figure out what, what, what are the two or three routes 
you know, last year in Iowa kind of figured out beginning in the North in the Iowa State game, they did it in the Penn State game, kind of figured out you could dump the ball off to Agram Wadley in space. He could juke a couple guys and get you huge gains, right? You don't really have that guy this year. Um, so you're going to have to figure out with the personnel that you do have, what are the two or three things we could do? Is it is it putting Hawkinson and, and Fant and more two tight end packages together, but also in the passing game? Because you know with all the preseason hype that Fant has gotten and everything, he's going to draw a lot of attention, preseason All-American. And 38 there is a pretty damn good football player. And so you almost run route combinations with them uh, like you do with receivers who cross or receiver tight end packages where you use tight ends to clear areas out for receivers or receivers to move safeties to open areas for tight ends. Um, But Iowa in this game has got to figure out and come out of this with something that can show them they can get 21 or 24 points against Wisconsin in two weeks. Because I think, given the strength of their defensive front, barring a minus three turnover game, that will win that game. And I think that's more important than whether Iowa wins this game 24 to 17 or 31 to three. I think Iowa's got to come out of this game with some level of confidence for its passing attack that if they've got to make three or four throws on Saturday night, cause they will, they will have to make those throws against that team that they're able to complete those. And I think when we are sitting here a week from now, that should be how we're evaluating the Northern Iowa game. Totally agree with you. I, I don't care if they win the Northern Iowa game by three points. I really don't. People will say, oh, John, it's going to hurt us in the rankings. Listen, the ra- you're not going to be ranked. You're not going to yeah, be ranked. This isn't the AP poll anymore. If you Wisconsin, yeah. you're going to be ranked. This isn't the AP poll anymore. That crap doesn't matter. I mean, if Iowa if Iowa is sitting here with with one loss and wins the Big Ten, the lowest they're going to be ranked is number five. Absolute absolute lowest, depending. And they'll probably be in the top four, considering you would have had to have beaten um, who you would have had to have beaten coming out of the East, and depending on what kind of a non conference win that Iowa State turns out to be, that stuff doesn't matter. What you know, the AP poll where this team moves, which has Michigan State ahead of Arizona State this week, all that crap that we used to care about as fans, none of that matters anymore. None of that. Well, if you win, no matter who it is, you move up, and if you lose, no matter who it is, you move down. Totally different era now with the college football playoff committee. And so it, it doesn't it, this it doesn't matter. They're not going to look at what what the what the point spread was and whether Iowa covered it against northern Iowa. They're not going to look at that at the end of the year. All right. So if you don't beat Wisconsin, none of this matters. This whole conversation is moot anyway. So the northern Iowa game has got to be we come out of that game having shown we can execute a game plan that is capable of winning the next week. Totally agree, and getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves. But yeah, if they if they beat Wisconsin and say you know they're seven or eight, no, uh, kind of like where they were in 2015 when they were ranked in the uh, early season or in the early college football playoff pool, and the rest of the country was all oh, Iowa hasn't played. You won't have that this year. If you beat Wisconsin, you have your bona fide invitation, yep. and it's over. So don't worry about it. If you don't, then you know you probably. I don't deserve to be ranked, so that'll all take care of itself. All right, those are conversations for another day, and hopefully we're having those. That will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.